Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Anne. It is 8.07 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The South Sudanese people have been held hostage to personality politics for long enough and accountable institutions must be allowed to take over. That's the stark message from United Nations peacekeeping chief Jean-Pierre Lacroix. He says the Regional Protection Force or RPF, which was mandated more than a year ago following violence around the capital, Juba, would be fully in place by the end of November. Matt Wells reports. We strongly believe that enhanced cooperation by the government on this issue remains critical for the RPF to implement its mandate. The Undersecretary General for Peacekeeping Operations said that the 4,000-strong force would finally assemble within weeks. But fighting between troops loyal to President Salva Kiir and those loyal to his rival and former deputy Rick Mashar had moved away from Juba since the RPF was conceived. More than two million have become refugees and nearly the same number are internally displaced, said Mr Lacroix, while a 2015 peace agreement between the two sides is stalled. The world's youngest country needs a different kind of politics to end the chaos, he said. South Sudan has been held hostage to personality politics and conflict as far back as we can remember. All processes and international support must strive to build institutions so that politics shifts from ownership by individuals to those institutions that must be accountable to the people of South Sudan. The UN peacekeeping chief said that the UN peacekeeping mission UNMIS and humanitarian agencies had done extraordinary work in protecting civilians and providing life-saving aid, but the violence was continuing. Despite the highly effective humanitarian operation that has reached millions with life-saving assistance, without a reduction in conflict and improved access, humanitarian indicators are likely to deteriorate further. Mr Lacroix told council members that there was still time for the warring factions running South Sudan to come to their senses. The same leaders responsible for the conflict can also bring the country back from the impending abyss. All that is needed is genuine political will to halt military operations, peacefully negotiate, and make the compromises necessary to achieve sustainable peace in the country. Security Council member Ethiopia is committing a battalion of troops to the Regional Protection Force, which is due to be fully in place by the end of October. Ambassador Takeda Alemu told the meeting that it was imperative to forge lasting peace and urged members to put their faith in the so-called High-Level Revitalization Forum being organized by the Regional Development Authority of African States, known as IGAD. At the end of the day, it's only through carefully worked out political strategy that the multifaceted problems of South Sudan can be addressed and sustainable peace achieved. And frankly speaking, the high-level forum is the only show in town and the eager countries are behind this agenda in unison. Matt Wells, United Nations. DRC's election to the UN's Human Rights Council has been criticised because of a country's human rights record. Human rights organisations have described the election as a slap in the face to the many victims of the human rights abuses across the country. Violence in eastern and central Congo has displaced 1.5 million in the last year and reopened fears of civil war. Jean-Noël Bamweze reports from Kinshasa. Organizations working for human rights here couldn't believe country members of the UN Human Rights Council could accept the Democratic Republic of Congo become part of them due to several human rights violations always reported here. Some of the human rights organizations we have spoken to couldn't hide their disappointment. They said there is nothing the DRC is going to do within the UN Human Rights Council since this country is a very bad example as far as human rights are concerned. Jean-Claude Katende is the chairman of the African Human Rights Association. It's a bad news because the Democratic Republic of Congo is not good at protecting 
protecting and promoting human rights. But we know and believe that at the end of the year, the DRC will be caught by the reality here. Authorities will abuse once more human rights of people who will try to demonstrate and demand elections. Several human rights abuses have always been reported here in the Democratic Republic of Congo and most of the times human rights organizations attribute the majority of those violations to the state agents. The chairman of the Congolese Association for Justice Access, George Kapiamba, has expressed the big disappointment and called on the Congolese authorities to quickly correct their behavior regarding human rights situation in this country. I just have to express my deep disappointment since we didn't wish the DRC to be part of the UN Human Rights Council, but Congolese authorities must know they now have a big responsibility of protecting and promoting human rights. They have to quickly stop arbitrary arrests and detentions. On the other side, the UN Joint Office for Human Rights believes the human rights situation remains of great concern in this country. The office publishes different reports on monthly basis in terms of human rights violation. Abdul Aziz is the deputy director of the UN Joint Office for Human Rights here in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The human rights situation remains of great concern for reasons that have been already enumerated within our different reports. We have uh, human rights violations related to the conflictual situation but also related to restriction of the democratic space. The situation remain uh, of great concern for us. Yeah. Meanwhile, the DRC government is satisfied and has said it has something to offer in terms of its rich experience in human rights defense, but people shouldn't carry on attributing to the government the human rights violation here in the DRC. Lambert is the DRC government spokesperson. We are satisfied since as we are now part of the UN Human Rights Council, we are going to offer to the world our human rights defense related experience that's very rich. It's not because there is a human rights abuse in a country that the government is responsible of those violations of human rights. The Democratic Republic of Congo is now a member of the UN Human Rights Council, but most of people here are afraid there might be human rights violations in the coming days if no elections are held in December this year. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. It's 8.14 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Kenya's High Court on Tuesday temporarily lifted a government curb on protest in three main cities until a full hearing can be held on an opposition petition to scrap the ban entirely. Security Minister Fred Matiangi announced the ban last Thursday, but opposition supporters have defied the order, notably in the western stronghold of Kisumu, where three people have been shot dead by police. Matiangi accused opposition supporters who had been waging a protest campaign to demand election reforms ahead of an October 26 vote of lawlessness and destroying property. James Shimanyula has more. Kenya's seasoned opposition guru Raila Odinga scored a major judicial victory when a Nairobi High Court quashed an order by the country's interior ministry banning his supporters from demonstrating right in the center of Nairobi's central business district as well as in prime business places in far-flung districts considered to be Odinga's political strongholds. The ban followed a clash between security personnel and demonstrators, especially in Nairobi, where incidents of looting, destruction of property and harassment and intimidation of pedestrians were reported to have happened. The blame rested squarely on Odinga's supporters, though the opposition leader maintained that he ordered demonstrations and cautioned his supporters to desist from committing criminal acts. With the ban on demonstrations lifted by the High Court, Raila Odinga supporters are now warming up their muscles ready to run up and down the Kenyan capital Nairobi and elsewhere waving placards and shouting at the top of their voices 
echoing political slogans and seemingly powerful remarks that border on no electoral reforms, no election. It may be pertinent to point out that mass demonstrations that have been taking place in various parts of Kenya, including in the capital Nairobi, resume tomorrow Wednesday after veteran opposition leader Raila Odinga ordered his supporters to rest today Tuesday to console and help families of more than 40 people reported to have lost their lives during running battles between security personnel and demonstrators. Dozens of other supporters have been admitted to hospitals for treatment as those discharged are still nursing their wounds sustained when squads of security personnel reportedly clobbered them and maimed them. In another development, Kenya, the Supreme Court has ordered the country's electoral commission not to amend or alter results of the October 26th presidential election. The ruling came shortly after the chairman of the commission, Wafula Chebukati, sought legal clarification from the court on what he should do and what he should not do during the October 26th repeat election. The commission had come under heavy criticism by the Supreme Court for allowing irregularities and illegalities to be committed during August the 8th presidential election that resulted in the nullification of Uhuru Kenyatta's re-election. Let us now hear the final words of Deputy Supreme Court Chief Judge Philemon Amuilu's ruling on behalf of his other colleagues on the bench. We hereby reiterate that the first and the second respondents cannot correct errors identified in Forms 34B or amend the Forms 34B where the same differ with the results contained in the relevant Forms 34A. That was Kenya's Supreme Court Deputy Chief Judge Philemon Amuilu from 34A that the judge was referring to is a document filled by a presiding officer at a polling station authenticating results that are announced after voting. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. In observation of the 100 years since the birth of Oliver Reginald Tumbo, a 9-meter-high bronze statue of the South African struggle icon will be erected at Johannesburg's O.R. Tumbo International Airport on the 19th of October. Channel Africa will be there, so join us between 600 hours and 900 hours Central African time on Thursday the 19th of October as we bring you live coverage of this special event. Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective. Let's go back in time to today in 1978. Forces of the white Rhodesian regime attack a nationalist guerrilla base in Mozambique, killing over 200 people. That's today in history in the year 1978. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. IBSA, the trilateral alliance between India, Brazil and South Africa will be working towards more balanced economic globalization, intensifying efforts for the development of the global south, as well as a more focused response on terrorism. These have been issues under discussion by foreign affairs ministers of the three countries meeting in Durban on the sidelines of the ministerial summit of the Indian Ocean Rim Association. 
South Africa's Minister of International Relations, Maite Nguana Mashabane, held discussions with her counterparts from Brazil and India on preparations for a meeting of the three countries' heads of state next year. Dries Libenbach reports from Durban. EPSA is preparing for a summit of members, heads of state, to take stock of their achievements over the past 15 years and assess where the alliance should be heading. The three powerhouses of Asia, Latin America and Africa have a combined economic value of $13.4 trillion and represent a fifth of the global population. It is believed this gives them a strong voice on behalf of the global south. However, since the formation of BRICS five years ago, the IPSA heads of state have not had a separate summit. The foreign affairs ministers of the three countries held talks in Durban to help pave the way for a heads of state summit next year in India. International Relations and Cooperation Minister Mahite Mkohana Mashebane says one of the focus areas will be economic development as well as the ocean economy. We have also come to a realization that uh, we can no longer look somewhere else for solutions for economic development but at ourselves while working for and always believing in multilateralism because that's what brings us together, our unity in our diversity. Nkohana Mashebane opened the meeting with a minute of silence for the victims of Somalia's worst terror attack. 300 people were killed and another thousand injured when two powerful bombs exploded in different parts of Mogadishu at the weekend. While no one has claimed responsibility for the attack, Somalia is a known stronghold for the Al-Qaeda-aligned Al-Shabaab. The IPSA ministers said in a joint statement after their meeting that the alliance's moral leadership should be brought to bear in a more focused way on global issues. India's Minister of State for External Affairs, V.K. Singh, has called for stronger action against terrorism. Terrorism is a major challenge and we need to put our heads together to ensure that we not only cooperate but we contribute towards combating the scourge that hits the world in a manner which is unimaginable. Nguhana Mashebane says IPSA's focus will remain on development and the eradication of hunger and poverty. With this in mind, Nguhana Mashebane says they should be promoting a more balanced economic globalization and reject protectionism. Here I am talking about the unintended consequences of globalization that are even becoming a problem to those who were the proponent of globalization in the first place. At the same time, Nguana Mashebane says ties between the three countries should go beyond intergovernmental cooperation. We really want to take IPSA to the people, to another level, not just of cooperation between governments, but to intensify people-to-people cooperation from parliament to sports, through films, through development. The ministers have confirmed IPSA's commitment to a fund that has seen development projects worth $35 million in least developed countries to fight hunger and poverty. I am Dries Liebenberg in Durban. It's 8.25 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Let's go back in time to today in 1966. The Rand Afrikaans University was established in Johannesburg by an Act of Parliament as the academic home of Afrikaans-speaking students. That's today in history in the year 1966. Ten days to go to the 100th birthday of the late Reginald Oliver Tambo. Hashtag Oliver Tambo 100. 
Rights Group Afri Forum says it will privately prosecute Duduzani Zuma, the son of South Africa's President Jacob Zuma, on a charge of culpable homicide uh, over an accident in 2014 where one person was killed. The National Prosecuting Authority decided not to pro- prosecute Duduzani after his Porsche plowed into a minibus in Johannesburg in heavy rain, killing Pumzile Dube and critically injuring two at the time. Under South African law, private prosecutions of cases can be pursued in the public interest. Namabolani reports. Every forum in Gerinel's first step is to seek an Ale prosecute certificate from the National Prosecuting Authority. The certificate will formally state that the NPA will not pursue the case, therefore eliminating the chance of a double prosecution. Now, a seasoned prosecutor says the NPA erred in its 2015 decision to not prosecute Dutuzani Zuma for his role in the fatal crash. Nell says they will formally launch the private prosecution once the NPA has issued the certificate. Whilst we're waiting, we will consult with witnesses, we will consult with experts, and we will be preparing the matter. What's even more important is that if they issue the certificate, then we'll have 90 days to institute prosecution. So as soon as they issue the certificate, we've got 90 days. If they fail or if they unnecessarily drag their feet, we will, through the courts, force them to make a decision. We'll use um, a mandamus and ensuring that, that we get a decision from the National Prosecuting Authority. Nell says they were prompted to get involved after the matter was found in the controversial leak Gupta emails. Duduzani Zuma has a close personal and professional relationship with the Gupta family. The advocate, who was responsible for the conviction of former police commissioner Jackie Selebi on fraud charges, believes there are no valid reasons to why the charges were dropped against the president's son. He says it's important to emphasize the principle of equality before the law and cited this case law. It's in the public interest that a full and proper inquiry be held in terms of the act. Whenever a person dies as a result of other than natural causes, and it's, and it's the duty of the public, the police and the Attorney General to ensure that the objects of the Act is fulfilled, and then importantly. It is also in the public interest that the Attorney General prosecute those reasonably suspected of having caused such a death, if such constitute an offence. So with that in mind, we have approached the, and we have filed our papers <coughs> earlier this morning. Nell also explains that Dube is yet to receive compensation from the Road Accident Fund or Zuma himself three years later. This is despite a conversation shared between Zuma and Dube's mother during the inquest hearing in 2014. Nell says nothing has come from it and the Dube family have not heard from Zuma since they last saw each other in court. Meanwhile, the NPA says it will only comment on the matter once it receives Nell's request. For the certificate, spokesperson Pindi Low. We haven't received anything, and once we have received something from them, as they they have made um, their intentions clear that they'll be applying, the DPP will have to consider their application and thereafter decide on whether he issues the certificate or not. But at this stage, there is um, nothing that we can really say as the NPA because we don't have anything with us. The design is Zuma has been unavailable for comments. That report by Norma Bolani in Johannesburg. Let's go back in time to today in 1922. The British Broadcasting Corporation Limited, later the British Broadcasting Corp, was founded. That's today in history in 1922. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Anne Musa.
A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, one of Kenya's eight election commissioners, Roslyn Akumbe, resigns in a scathing statement accusing her colleagues of political bias. Somalia again calls on the United Nations to lift an arms embargo so that they could fight al-Shabaab. And a U.S. court blocks President Donald Trump's latest bid to impose restrictions on citizens from several countries entering the U.S., which has been set to take effect this week. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. It is 8.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Lesotho nationals staying in South Africa are urged to collect their permits by month end to legitimize their stay in the country. While the Lesotho Special Permit Program has drawn to a close, a substantial number of permits have not been collected. Uncollected permits by the deadline are expected to be returned to the Department of Home Affairs and the moratorium will be lifted. For more on this, we are now joined by Jaten Fias, VFS Global Chief Operating Officer for Africa. Good morning, Jaten, and thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Lulu, and thank you for having me on your show. Thank you. Now, tell us briefly about what the Lesotho Special Permit is, um, a role, its role and its validity. I know we spoke about this uh, uh, a few weeks ago, but just uh, take us through very briefly what it is and what it entails. Indeed. So in, in 2015, uh, the Department of Home Affairs uh, brought out a special uh, dispensation whereby giving the opportunity for Lesotho nationals living illegally in the Republic to legitimize their stay by way of the Lesotho Special Permit. And uh, this program uh, drew to a conclusion on the 31st of December which means uh, 31st of December 2016, which means uh, Lesotho nationals living illegally in the Republic had the opportunity to legitimize their stay. As of uh, 31st of December 2016, the Department of Home Affairs uh, has processed 94,941 LSP applications, of which 93,537 have been adjudicated. We urge Lesotho nationals who have not collected their permits, which is close to 7,000 Lesotho nationals who haven't collected their permits, to please do so by the 31st of October this month. What happens if they, they're not able to collect their, their documentation? So the, the VFS and the Department of Home Affairs have, have made uh, multiple uh, approaches uh, through media, social media, and even reaching out uh, to the contact numbers of, of these Lesotho applicants. Should they be in a position to collect by the 31st of December uh, through any of the VFS offices where they have applied previously, that is best. If they are not in a position to collect, uh, VFS will return these permits back to the Department of Home Affairs. And in that event, they will have to then contact VFS, who will then have to facilitate that through the Department of Home Affairs in South Africa. Jeten, what happens to the other um, Lesotho nationals in the country who have not been able to apply for the special permit, who have not been able to do anything with uh, to this regard? What happens to them? Is it a case of... If they are found in the country, will they be deported to Lesotho? What happens to the other Lesotho nationals? So, indeed, and, and absolutely, the, the Department of Home Affairs uh, brought out uh, the Lesotho Special Permit purely to give an opportunity to uh, the Lesotho or the Basotho nationals uh, living and working or studying in South Africa to legitimize their stay. Uh, the, the bilateral between the two countries is extremely strong. And it was with that intent that the DHA, the Department of Home Affairs, brought out this dispensation. Uh, the program was extended uh, twice, giving the opportunity to Basutus in South Africa to apply for this uh, special permit. Should there be any Basutu that haven't applied, uh, the moratorium ends and, and uh, they will have to approach the Department of Home Affairs. But as far as this program is concerned, there is no more extensions, and this program has closed on the 31st of December 2016. 
Are there any specific centres where these permits can be collected for the people who are not able to collect them um, um, as we speak uh, across the country? Um, or is it only going to be through VFS and uh, thereafter through the Home Affairs Department with your assistance? So indeed, indeed. Uh, I think it's it's quite easy for uh, the Basutu that have applied for the LSP uh, to reach out to the same center where they lodged their application. VFS operates uh, nine center across uh, centers across the nine provinces uh, in in the republic, and they can easily collect their processed applications before the 31st of October this month. Should they not be in a position to collect for whatever reason? They will have to then approach the VFS office where they applied, and VFS will in turn have to reach out to the Department of Home Affairs to retrieve their permits. We urge the Basutu that have applied for the LSP to please try and collect their permits before the end of this month. Jeten, we'll have to leave it there for now. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Good day. Bye-bye. That was Jeten Fias, VFS Global Chief Operating Officer for Africa, joining us on the line. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. In 1984, in its January 8th statement, the African National Congress Liberation Movement under the leadership of its president, Oliver Reginald Tambo, a strong advocate for gender equality, made a call to the progressive peoples of the world to declare the year as the Year of the Woman. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbara Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noël Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. The United Nations says about 800,000 refugees and internally displaced children under the age of five are at risk of severe acute malnutrition in the Lake Chad Basin. The crisis in the Lake Chad Basin, which covers Cameroon, Niger, Nigeria and Chad, is complex as countries grapple with insecurity, climatic shocks, extreme poverty, the legacy of inadequate governance across vast parts of the region. Muki Kinzaga reports from Garua, Northern Cameroon. 200 mothers in the village of Kosi in northern Cameroon listened to UNICEF and Cameroon health officials explaining to them that their children stand the risk of dying if they stop visiting hospitals. 27-year-old Badele Asta says she is attending the meeting because she is afraid of losing all of her two-month-old twins she delivered at home. The first died last week. She says after birth, she immediately started giving water and traditional meals to her babies and discovered that they were permanently sick. She says their village healer told her that the children were either suffering from malaria or stomach disorders. Kosi village has 700 Nigerian refugees and people internally displaced by the Boko Haram insurgency. Many people in the area seek medical help from traditional healers. They mostly consume millet and traditional meals that are not very rich in vitamins. 
trainer and health worker Sene Bukar says since the people cherish foods which transmit ethnic identity and do not meet children's specific food needs, they are distributing especially developed ready-to-use therapeutic foods and nutrients packs provided by UNICEF to help to feed malnourished children. Je fais la démonstration culinaire. La nourriture déjà préparée. La maman. He says he's demonstrating to the women that immediately they prepare food for their households. They should remove the portion they are to serve to their babies and add a spoonful of the vitamin provided by UNICEF. He says he's asking the women to wash their hands with clean water and soap before cooking and especially before feeding their children. 30 of the 120 children born this year in Kosi village have died as a result of malnutrition. The government of Cameroon says the figure may be higher as barely 70% of pregnant women deliver in hospitals. The rest deliver at home. Calvin Lamisa, focal point of UNICEF and the government of Cameroon in encouraging parents to send their malnourished children to hospitals, says the rate of simple malnutrition has increased from 12% last year to nearly 17% now, signaling an emergency. Il y a des mamans qui ne comprennent pas que c'est un traitement. She says they have decided to move from house to house to educate women on how to feed their children because they have noticed that as soon as mothers start seeing signs of improvement, they stop visiting hospitals to follow up treatment for their malnourished children. She says they recommend that some children continue treatment for up to 12 months because a lot of them are exposed to illnesses and suffer from severe diarrhea since their mothers seldom respect hygiene rules. Northern Cameroon was already grappling with high rates of chronic malnutrition as much as 30% among children before the Boko Haram conflict arrived in 2014. Mass displacements including the influx of refugees from neighboring countries, food shortages, famine and insecurity has made the situation worse. The region suffers from low rain and poor harvest. UNICEF says about 63,000 refugees and internally displaced children under the age of five are at risk of severe acute malnutrition in Cameroon's northern regions and that 145,000 children under the age of five will have stunted growth. Eight months ago, world leaders met in Oslo to commit support to the crisis in the Lake Chad region, but UNICEF says 57% of the $2.24 billion needed to meet the most basic humanitarian needs in 2017 are still lacking. Close to 800,000 children under the age of five are severely malnourished in Nigeria, Niger, Cameroon, and Chad, and the current lack of sufficient humanitarian funding is putting young children's lives at risk. Last year, 475,000 children suffered from severe acute malnutrition in the region. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka in Garua, Cameroon. It's 8.44 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our economics update up next with Tabisolo Hoko. Good morning. The multinational mining company Rio Tinto and two of its former executives have been charged in the United States with fraud. The case concerns coal mining assets in Africa, the BBC's Hayward Griffiths reports. In 2011, Rio Tinto bought mining assets in Mozambique for $3.7 billion. Three years later, they were sold off for just $50 million. The company, its former chief executive and chief financial officer have all been accused of failing to warn investors about problems with the assets. It's claimed the company soon realised there was less coal and it was of a lower quality than anticipated. 
Rio Tinto and its two former executives have all denied the allegations, with the company saying it will vigorously defend its reputation. South Africa's trade union Solidarity will be meeting with management of Mango Airlines in an attempt to bring the strike by flight crew of the airline to an end. Employees affiliated to Solidarity downed tools on Monday after wage negotiations between the union and airline management deadlocked. The union is demanding an 8.5% wage increase while management is offering 6%. Solidarity's Dion Reiniger. The strike is still on at Mango. Uh, it runs from Monday morning at 5 o'clock. Our, our members are still adamant that they will strike as long as it takes. But we are uh, very glad that the company did call uh, a meeting for today at 10 o'clock in order to get back to the table and see if we can resolve this issue. South Africa's business management consultant, McKenzie, says it's embarrassed by errors it made while working with the power utility ESCOM on a 120 million US dollar contract that is being investigated by parliament and police over allegations of fraud. Privately held McKinsey, the world's largest management consultancy, says it parted ways with some stuff involved in its work at ESCOM in 2016 with the Trillion. The Gupta brothers, who work with President Jacob Zuma's son, Tutuzani, were accused by South Africa's anti-corruption watchdog last year of using control over state agencies to siphon public funds. Zuma and the Guptas deny wrongdoing. The government of Kenya has revised plans for the construction of the second runway at Jomo Kenyatta International Airport after numerous delays due to lack of funds. The Kenya Airports Authority says that the government had applied for financing from the African Development Bank for the JKIA airfield expansion project, part of which would go to building the second runway. The consultant will also be expected to ensure that the project is implemented within the contract price and time earmarked for completion. Nigeria's annual inflation rate has marginally slowed for an eighth month in September, easing to 15.98%. This was 0.3% points lower than the rate recorded in August, making it the eighth consecutive decline in the rate of headline inflation. However, the food price index showed a marginal rise in inflation at 20.32% in September, up from 20.25% in August. Nigeria Bureau of Stats says that the rise in the index was caused by increases in prices of potatoes, yams, and other uh, turbos, milk, cheese and eggs, bread, cereals, coffee, tea and cocoa, soft drinks, fish, meat, oil and fats. The U.S. dollar trades at 13.37 in South Africa. It's at 10.16 in Botswana, and also it's also at uh, 7 to 5 to the British pound and 0.84 to the euro. Gold is trading at 1,286 dollars, and platinum is at 9.30 dollars per ounce. The price of brand crude oil is at 5.8 dollars, so 2.8 cents a barrel. I'm Tabi Solohoko for Channel Africa. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. I see Figile is wearing his Kaiser Chiefs um, top very proudly today. We always do that uh, during uh, midweek games, you know. Mm. Mm. But mm. we are preparing for the weekend. Mm. I think the weekend is more important than what transpired yesterday. Give us an update. First up in our sports update this hour, it's football news. 
Mali national under-17 team sailed into the quarterfinals of the FIFA under-17 World Cup in style as they outplayed Iraq in all departments for a resounding 5-1 victory in a round of 16 clash on Tuesday. Mali dominated the match and scored through Haji Drame in the 25th minute. Lazan and Daya scored twice, 33rd minute and 90th, 4th uh, minute. Fode Konate, 73rd minute and substitute Seme Kamara, 87th minute. Iraq showed urgency in the second half and reduced the margin in the 85th minute through Ali Karim. Mali will play against the winners of today's match between Ghana and Niger. Here are other results in the round of 16. Iran beat Mexico 2-1, Spain beat 2 one uh, Spain beat France 2-1 and England had a better of Japan by 5 goals to 3 on penalties. Northern Ireland will play Switzerland in the World Cup playoffs as they aim to qualify for the next summer's tournament in Russia and a first finals since 1986. Michael O'Neill's side will be home at Windsor Park for the first leg. The Republic of Ireland have been drawn against Denmark. Italy will play Sweden, while Croatia will face Greece. The first legs will be played between the 9th and the 11th of November, with the second legs between the 12th and the 14th of November. The Republic of Ireland beat Wales in the final group game to reach the playoffs ahead of Chris Coleman's side, while the Danes finished behind Poland in the group. Let's get the reaction from Martin O'Neill on his side drawing Denmark. Being one of the unseeded teams, it was going to be a difficult uh, tie for us. I know, uh, I know Denmark, and I know the manager. He and I used to play together, Augie Haredi, and um, so it'll be interesting confrontation. And in local football, South African Premiership side Kaiser Chiefs shocked Mamelodi Sundowns, beating them 2-1. Here's Chiefs coach Steve Compella. Yeah, I thought it was a nice match, and both teams, in my opinion, applied themselves very well. And it was also nice for both sets of supporters to be watching such kind of a game. Uh, from, from, from our side, a, a, nice, a nice birthday present for, for the chairman, one would say. And you can say it now after having given a good three-point result. Uh, first half, first half I thought we could have gone in the dressing room with respect to sundowns. Maybe one or two nil up. There were about six chances that we at least could have taken maybe two. And also our shape in defense, we, we were quite disciplined. We, we took a lot of a lot of punishment. Sundowns you could see they were very patient with their build-ups, wanting to open us up. But uh, we were we were resolute and compliment must be given to the defenders. Sundowns coach Peter Musimani felt his team dominated the match without threatening the opposition. Very funny, awkward game, funny, but the thriller also is good. Yeah, I think we achieved our objective. The objective was to, to control the game and direct the game. So we did that in the first half and uh, we're in charge, as always, you know. We could find our person passing lines and angles and we dominated, as usual. But the, the challenge was that the, our domination uh, was not dangerous in terms of scoring goals. And I think we went into that mode of playing nice and playing beautiful football. But at the end of the day, you know how football is. It's the goals that determines the game. Finally, Golf News European Ryder Cup captain Thomas John and his American counterpart Jim Furyk visited the course just outside of Paris where the tournament will be held next year. Yeah, but the venue is um, just amazing. You know, there's not really, you can't say too many things about this place in, in the way that it's going to you know, it handles the French Open so well and it's going to handle Ryder Cup probably better than any venue we've been at. You know, it's a stadium uh, appearance of, the, of every hole on the golf course, but especially those last four. And it's just, it's just going to be a, a venue that uh, with, you know, greatest city in the world as a backdrop, it's just going to be such a fantastic week and it's going to be something that... It's going to be very, very difficult to replicate in the, in the future. But uh, you know, at the moment we concentrate about Paris 2018, and and it's going to be. I just think it's going to be amazing. And you know, if I wasn't captioning it, I'll do anything to get a ticket to be here. That's the spot news this hour. That's it. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa UN pers- says personality politics is driving conflict in South Sudan. A DRC's election to the Human Rights Council criticised and the African Union migration experts meet in Kigali. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzo Ramagaza and Khomuzo Mupulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info@channelafrica.co.za, or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327. Are taking us to the top of our folding news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to southern Africa is Tandiswa with a song titled Zabalaza. Little ghetto child, and as the bull at